0: Trish C. is a multi-talented director whose work spans the realms of music videos, commercials, and short and feature films. After spending a decade as a professional dancer, championship ballroom competitor and choreographer, she built a successful and championed career in filmmaking. The first music video that she produced, Here It Goes Again, for the band OK Go, won her a Grammy Award. Her success expands to the world of films where she has directed the likes of Pitch Perfect Free and Step Up, All In, using her dance and choreography experience to make magic happen on camera. Along with the Grammy, Trish has won a number of awards, such as the YouTube Award for Most Creative Video, the Smithsonian Ingenuity Award, and multiple accolades for Best Short Film at various film festivals. Trish C., welcome to the creative process.
1: Thank you, it's so nice to talk to you.
2: And so, I'm a big lover of dance, and we have some friends in common, the Palabalos and everything, but I'm just curious about your whole journey, you're a choreographer, dancer, film director, dance film director, and when I think about it, I mean, it's almost like a a, a dream trajectory, although I'm sure there's a lot of missing um, pieces along the way that we're not seeing, but like from your very first music video for OK Go, you know, shot in one take to these huge dance films. Could you just, like, explain a little bit how, you know, one project may have generated another, how that that works?
1: I mean, it is kind of a dream trajectory, really. I have no complaints about how things have gone. I've been very, very lucky. And I think... I guess that, yeah, it, I mean, it was a late start, really. Like, my first video for OK Go, the first one that anybody really paid attention to in any big way, the, the treadmill one, you know, was well, I was well into my 30s. Um, it was 2006, I think, uh, that we actually made that. And so, you know, I had had um, all of my 20s to doubt myself <laughs> and feel mediocre in a in in the very the wide variety of things that I did with my life including I was a real estate agent for a hot second mm-hmm. I worked for a laser light show company mm-hmm. I was a dance teacher I was a ballroom dance competitor I taught wedding couples their first cha-cha I mean I had done all kinds of um I was a an executive assistant um mm-hmm. you know and I was I'm like, pretty mediocre at all of those things, mm-hmm. and that's even maybe generous. And so, you know, when you get to be in your 30s and that's been your career, and a lot of your friends are like running charter schools, um, you know, in New Haven, Connecticut, or running for public office in the state of Montana, wow. or putting out their third novel, or curing various forms of cancer, and you're just like, I'm not even doing anything particularly important, and I'm terrible at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, the roughest time for me was that period leading up to that first video. And, in fact, the reason I think I made the video was because I had stopped even trying to have any kind of career. And I had a child. My, you know, I'd been married for a while. I had a baby. I stopped dancing competitively. I kept my dance studio just because. You know why not? It was in the middle of an orange grove, so why not? Kept the dance studio, which is where we shot that video. Yeah. My brothers in the band Ok Go, and they had ju- they had just signed a record deal, but didn't have a ton of money really for music videos. And it was like, let's call Trish, because that's <laughs> what I used to do with my brother. You know, makeup dances all while we were growing up. Yeah. And um, it just seemed like you know when you have when you have a creative need and you don't have any money, the best thing you can do is get in a room with. Other people, especially people that you trust and um, and and just make something. And mm-hmm. we had this big space uh, and with lots of natural light coming through the windows because mm-hmm. we couldn't even afford lighting. And um, we borrowed a friend's video camera, and we rented a bunch of treadmills. We didn't even buy those actually we bought them and then had to return they told us you can't (laughs) rent them but you can buy them and return them um so you know it was sort of out of sheer desperation on a number of levels that we made that thing and um
2: desperation is great (laughs) (laughs) well yeah you know
1: just I honestly think that like I feel like right now part of why I have I feel like I have zero creativity right now is like I'm just living fat at my house. you know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's I mean, in a way, the world is a very desperate place right now with this mm-hmm. pandemic. But I personally have nothing really driving me. I'm just sitting at home eating waffles and like smelling flowers in my garden. and it and when you're too comfortable, it doesn't. It doesn't often generate the best ideas. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's what happened with that video, and from there it was like, like you said, one thing leading to the next in a way that was just felt really lucky and felt like I was just on a roller coaster ride, not really of my own making or controlling, but it was great
2: and I think but I think there isn't a lot to be said for that kind of do-it-yourself thing and it's I knew that when they say overnight successes it's not that but then you are building upon as you say this creative uh, relationship you had with your brother for years and all of your accumulated years of experience of dance and choreography and so for you to just like kind of what it seems like walking into it is not to say you haven't been doing all of this it's just waiting for that opportunity and then when you have that and then people notice and then it- Like, that's why you can do it that way.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think so many people in the world, whether what they do is ever very publicly noticed on a large scale or not, so many of our lives are about just sort of scanning the landscape continuously for opportunities and um, knowing when a unique, I I sometimes call them the trish shaped holes that you can walk (laughs) through that nobody else can walk through, that your particular Um, experiences and and life and the timing and where you are in your life and what you've done up till now and what you dream of doing in the future that there are certain holes that only you can fill and Mm -hmm. it's sort of like having that awareness all the time Mm -hmm. of scanning 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 for those holes and um and knowing like very few people can fit through this hole and it's not that it's a particularly amazing astonishing wonderful hole it's just my hole you know it's Mm -hmm. we all have them um and it life's a lot easier when you're sort of the only one when you're when instead of competing with a million people who could fit through a hole you find the ones that are pretty uniquely shaped to just you and then you know it's yours and there's not a lot of competition for that hole most people may not even want to crawl through it which is fine Mm -hmm. but if it's yours, it's yours, and then it's it's easier to sort of see the things you should be doing rather than fighting for the things that everybody else wants to do.
2: And I'm also interested, you know, speaking of that um, early video and some of the, this all-in-one-take um, challenge, you know, because it's something that a lot of, and it's probably, as you said, also derived from, you. it wasn't that you had a huge shooting budget or whatever, so you would almost oh, have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it's interesting, mm-hmm. right? Because it's really compelling to watch something all in one take. At the, the well, natural... I,
1: it is. I think it's it's the best way to sort of mimic the feeling of being in the room with people who are doing something awesome right. or doing, even if it's not awesome, just doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a dancer, I'm sure you'll relate to this. Like the, mm-hmm. the most wonderful, magical, and also heartbreaking thing about dance is that it is this ephemeral thing that happens and then it's over. Mm
0: -hmm. And I know a
1: lot of dancers and choreographers through the ages have have said, like, how tragic it is, you know, Mm -hmm. that a painter makes a painting and it it exists until, you know, it's physically destroyed. But it can last for thousands of years. A poem can exist forever. You know, a dance really doesn't. And, I mean, you can capture it any number of ways. There are ways to shoot it so that it, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. captures the, the... Feeling of being there, but really, what and uh, dance is the experience in that moment, and it's very hard to capture that. Hmm. Um, And it's, it's, um, I've heard people say like dancers are the ultimate sort of masochists for the fact that like we create this art that really only exists in that moment when you're creating it, and it's, it there's, there's never really been a great way of capturing it. And so to me, the closest you can come is don't cut. Don't change angles. Don't force people to look at one person or another, one face or one leg or one foot or one hand. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't take the mistakes out. Mm-hmm. Don't um, you know, take the boring or slow bits out. Make it make it so that the person watching feels like they are watching something in real time. Foibles and flaws in both the performance and the structure of the thing and the lighting and everything you know just make just just try to make it feel as much like as if you were there as you can and it's still not the same as Mm -hmm. the real thing but it's um I think I think when you know that nothing was done to it it feels a little more like you were in the room
2: yeah, you can see the, the magic of it, um, and it's not like special effects or anything. And I think that on another level, also actors, or of just like a plain, um, you know, a single take, can you imagine just like, you know, just slowly going closer to a, a, an actor's face, and they're looking back, or maybe there's like this kind of tear forming or whatever, and it's it can be kind of excruciating, but then there's this sense <laughs> that they're looking yeah. back at you too, you know, because you're in this yeah. together, you're all in the, the same room, yeah.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. And I mean, I've become—you know—it's interesting as a person that I don't think I'm a, on the on the scale of perfectionism. I'm not totally onto the perfectionist extreme, but I'm fairly detail oriented and fairly perfectionist-ish in my own life. And I struggle with the fact that, well, I like everything to be perfect around me, and I, I like. You know, I, I, I live for these little perfect moments where everything looks like it's in its place and everything feels right and the temperature is right and my, I feel just right, you know, and everything looks just right and everybody's acting just right. I love those moments. But I realize that as a sort of consumer of the world, I am absolutely bored by perfection and have no interest in it compared to seeing people make mistakes, seeing flaws, seeing, you know, foibles and missteps and I'm always trying to balance sort of like how as a person that wants to make everything around me as perfect as possible. And yet I'm so bored by that when I see it in other people. And so I try to remember that in my own work is like strive for it to be perfect because that's part of what nobody wants to see someone fall on purpose or make Mm -hmm. mistakes on purpose. People want to see someone trying to do it right and inevitably failing and not because we like to see someone fall flat on their face necessarily just because those are the interesting parts you know Mm -hmm. um and the little times when you didn't quite make it and but 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 you were still trying and so that sort of like earnest sincerity mixed with like radical honesty about what went wrong Mm -hmm. is really like an interesting place for me creatively and I realize that I struggle with it because I don't like mistakes in myself and I love them so much in other people.
2: Yeah, I think that I mean when it's what one everyone has a different conception of beauty, and it's fascinating to think about it. But I think that our brains, definitely from a biological point of view, aren't designed to respond to artificial, you know, intelligence, and so right. I mean, there's that kind of symmetry that's supposed to be beauty, but when it's too symmetrical, it can look strange, right? You kind of, there's some kind of people like that, that they're like perfect, but I don't even want to look at them. It kind of, (laughs) my brain kind of doesn't accept it or like plastic surgery, like it's too much and it's strange. Um, Yeah. And I was thinking, because I was having the conversation the other day, because it's like the 500th anniversary of the passing of da Vinci, and so um, one of the um, da Vinci experts at the Louvre was talking about his sense of the sacred. And I think he really admires the perfection in da Vinci, but there's always some kind of imperfection in it, too. But like, for him, it was like the idea of the sacred and the pure. And then we were talking about a lot of different things, like uh, Maria Callas, and you no, know, she has a really beautiful voice and there are a lot of really perfect voices. But like what what I find interesting in her is like that what you're talking about, it's not that there's flaws, but it trembles with emotion. Like you could almost feel that she might not make that note because she's human. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. They don't seem plastic doesn't all seem charted out it seems mm-hmm. like something could go wrong at any moment or even mm-hmm. if it's not wrong something could go unexpected yeah. at any moment you can't predict it completely you can't 100 percent trust it and that's a good feeling you know
2: yeah. it's like a tight and wire. And i think shooting yeah.
1: it, it's like a tight wire and i do think that like allowing things to live in a single take like that helps that feeling because inevitably something will not go quite as expected mm-hmm. and you know that people have had to just um Take that risk and 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 put it out there, even you know, not slice out the bits that weren't exactly right. And um, it's 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 something I think we all like, even if it's to watch in other people, even if it's very uncomfortable to put yourself in that position.
2: And it's interesting because there's different approaches to dance and different approaches to choreography. And I guess from my listening to you and I'm knowing a bit about some of the other collaborators like Palabolas, that you're listening to people in the room, and it's not like a top down and everyone must listen kind of thing
1: um i'm guessing i don't know oh, what God. Yeah. yeah 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 you know i've another another sort of like conflict that i've always struggled with myself is this idea that to be really good at something you need to be a virtuoso you need to be an expert you need to you know i i, I grew up studying classical cello and i would go in the summer times to Michigan to the Interlochen um, music camp, and you'd be around these kids that were just so unbelievably good at what they did, like mm-hmm. violinists and and you know trumpet players and vocalists, and and they were. I, I had never, you know, back at home I was a pretty decent cellist. My mm-hmm. friends knew me as like you know a classical cellist, like whoa she's she's really good cellist, like I won some local competitions. I was kind of a big deal. You go to Interlochen, these people are absolutely just so 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 just staggeringly better than you are or could ever dream to be and i and i sort of got in my brain which i think a lot of people do that like to be good at something you have to be an expert at it you have to be studying it so hard for so long Mm. and um be so technically skilled and that's there's absolute truth to that but then there's a Type of person, and I just realized when I would go to those interlock in summers that I was never going to be that person, I would mm-hmm. never be good enough at cello for a variety of reasons. Um, but going back to like what I said about my 20s, I'm not particularly good at anything, mm-hmm. and coming to that realization, and then realizing, okay, that's if you can own that, and you and your specialty isn't having a specialty, it's kind of um taking in information and and inspiration and f- f- gathering your skills. Like again, what I said about sort of watching people do something that's not quite perfect only feels good when someone's trying not when they're purposely messing up and so same kind of thing like you don't say oh I'm 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 the guy that's not good at anything that means I don't have to ever learn or try like no no you still learn you still try you still attempt to be good at things but if you can accept that like I'm just not going to be that guy who's a virtuoso I'm going to be a generalist and my and the way I'm going to work is by inviting people who are like smarter and more um, experienced than I am to the table. And we're all going to synthesize ideas together. And then I'm not responsible for making this whole thing up by myself. Cause I'm not that, I'm just not, I have the utmost respect for choreographers who just march into a room and have it all charted out in their head mm-hmm. and just like put their dance on people. If you have that kind of vision god bless you like that is genius beyond what i can imagine of myself for me it's very much about collaboration because i'm just not i'm not that kind of expert you know
2: and it's interesting because um i do believe i mean i I do believe the thing about like that having that flaw and not that it's intentional but having the human um quality um because i do believe that people like are, are really fascinated just going back to the da vinci but Lots of things, that, yeah. those drawings that were all on display, they were in the Louvre. Um, and um, so people are really drawn to those notebooks and to seeing how the great paintings came together. Like, if you watch the people there, actually more of them were looking at the notebooks and the drawings than at the paintings, which was like everything was there, you know, it's finished. And he, you know, he spent for ages on each painting, that's why he did so few of them. Yeah. But they're really interested in the writings and the drawings because I feel in the paintings it's all been done for you you know really i mean you can just look in awe but with the drawings your imagination is engaged you know and it's and you're learning something and you're seeing how his
1: mind works or worked oh a hundred percent i mean i would be exactly i feel like with some of the OK go videos in fact probably most if not all of them Mm -hmm. Most people seem to be interested in seeing the behind the scenes, how we made it, what we were thinking. And like, look at the world right now, how everybody's into you know Tiger King and all these documentaries. Like, I think people crave that realness. A beautiful piece of finished art is is wonderful, of course. But um, God, I think it was David Foster Wallace once wrote a wrote a um, essay on. He went to the porn convention. Oh, in, I remember um, that. Yes, vaguely, and he talk about how obsessed he became at one point with like trying to find um when he was watching tons of porn was like trying to find places where he saw real emotion in their faces rather than like fake orgasms and fake ecstasy and you know fake anger and everything else just any moment of real and I feel like it's that same thing like you just want you want those little glimmers of when someone was a real person um Especially if they've done something amazing. Especially mm-hmm. if you're seeing them do something fabulous. Even more important to see where they were still a person under all of that, you know. Um,
2: well, we're very voyeuristic, and, you know, so we do like to, <laughs> to
1: see behind the scenes.
2: Anyway, guys, yeah, you.
1: yeah, always. I mean, it's just like I think it's it's always more interesting to see someone's process and see someone's um, struggles and and the way they the way they came up with ideas rather than just see the finished thing
2: yeah and I want to get to perfect pitch too because I think it relates to that this um, struggling young performers um but yeah, just getting into that. Yeah, that's why we're fascinated by political dramas. And I turn off when I see you know the standard speeches. But it's the, it's seeing how it all comes together, and the chaos, in fact, is fascinating. But then, like moving yeah. on from your your dance videos, and and then you uh, these huge films. You know, like Perfect Pitch. Actually, I just interviewed the other day, um, yesterday, Salvador Perez, who did the costumes. Uh, yeah. so <laughs> oh
1: my good friend Sal, i love him
2: and so yeah, so he, so he was telling so i got a little bit behind the scenes too um yeah so in a way that, you know tell, you know tell the story i mean it's such a big success so people know the story but they're these struggling performers and that's why we're rooting for them right
1: right um, absolutely i mean no one wants to see someone who's already on top of their game Boring
2: so was that like because it seems as i'm watching i'm at uh, a distance it looks like like a huge jump from like a short dance uh short, some short dance videos amazing ones but uh, and then to do those films so how did that happen how did that come about
1: um oh i did a movie in between yes, another dance movie yeah. called step up all in and that helped uh, to have but that was a, also very a big movie. yes <laughs> yeah 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 i mean not as big as pitch perfect but definitely much bigger than an okay go video yeah um I think it's all just the same thing, and mm-hmm. I, I I think have not being a particular film buff myself, mm-hmm. and not being particularly reverential of films mm-hmm. makes it easier for me because I don't really care about movies to mm-hmm. be totally honest. Um, sure. I like stories, and I like dance, and I like music, and I like people, and I like creating something, and I like you know capturing it. But I'm not particular... The film genre for me is not, like, my go-to form of entertainment. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly... I don't particularly know a lot about film or filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And so, in a way that it probably isn't great for me as a director, like, I'm probably not going to get a lot of jobs by saying that. But at the same time, it makes it... It's very freeing. Because, like I was saying about going to Interlochen and being so humbled by seeing these, like fabulously terrific, technically terrific musicians, if you're freed from having to be that, it just makes it a lot easier to, like I was also saying, find your hole. You know, here's a movie um, that has a lot of dance, has a lot of music, has a lot of um, women. You know, like there's a lot of things about this movie that that not everybody's going to be able to deal with, even if they are experienced filmmakers. And this happens to be a good fit for me. So... I'll learn to make a movie. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's hard, but it's not rocket science. Um, And most of the skills that go into making a movie are the same skills that go into running a dance studio or being a mom Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, keeping your house clean. I mean, it's just kind of common sense and listening to the people around you and being disciplined and having an eye for detail, but also letting go when you need to let go. And, you know, it's, 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 sort of applying those life skills to directing makes it a much less daunting thing than like, and now you must be an Academy award-winning director. Like that's not what I want to be. That's not what I'm ever going to be. That's not what I'm good at. That's not my whole, you know? Um, So they take some of the pressure off. And then you just go in and you have people like Sal and you have fabulous choreographers and very talented actors and writers and you're not doing it alone. And if you're good to people and you're kind to people and you create a safe place where they can bring their ideas and um, try stuff and bring you their problems and you'll help them solve them, then it all gets done. And um, if you're nice to people, (laughs) they bring you their best and... That makes
2: everybody look good wow well it's very inspiring because you know looking at those films i would have thought i mean every moment is filled i mean in a good way there's no there's nothing lagging there's always you know there's the new dilemmas it's, it's not filled with you know a dance or humor or some emotional insight so i really thought oh, this is a really, you know, someone who's really grown up in the film world. And so that's why it was very surprising to know that you've done it. And I just, I, I just think that's so impressive. And that's... Oh, good. <laughs> Thank
1: you for saying that.
2: <laughs> but it's kind of like strange and really, it, it, it's that it you, it, like film is not something that you've been, you know, studying. Um, it, I, I just can't imagine the immense undertaking of the, the management alone, not to mention like bringing art into it. Um. So and 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 so, but yeah, you have a great cast and you know great images and and costumes and everything. So I I would look I look forward to um seeing more of that. But now you're working on two projects for Netflix, I guess. Um, the Sleepover, is yeah. uh, So tell us a little bit about because this is again a, a new a new phase and not a you know huge dance film.
1: I was really excited to have an opportunity to do something that's not a dance movie, because while I love, love, love dance, I want to expand a little bit what people think I can do, what I think I can do, and do a movie. There is a tiny bit of dance in it, yeah. um, but for the most part, it's a, it's a family comedy adventure film, um, and I really, I also, this is my first movie that doesn't, have established characters and an established franchise behind it. It's an original film, not a reboot of anything, not an extension or a follow-up on anything. It's its own thing. And that was really exciting for me to help create characters and help create a world and sort of like be the first person to live in this house. Um, And so that was cool. It's got really sweet messages, I think, for, for kids and for parents. It's got a lot of humor. It's got a lot of uh momentum and it's it's a i think it's a really really fun movie um and it's and it's sweet and it's kind of like what i think a lot of families need right now which is mm-hmm. just sort of an escape and a feel-good romp mm-hmm. um so yeah it's 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 cute mm-hmm. and i was
2: i was wondering what it's like you know you were saying that you you know you're up you're in a, a place of comfort, you know, in terms of your creativity, but i I know that and I feel a lot for you know dancer friends and people you know actors, really collaborative people i mean this is, isn't there something like stirring in you at the moment? Have you been reflecting on the like the nature of intimacy and in your art form and things like that because it's like we're deprived of it really now
1: yeah it's 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 a it's a very weird I don't know how to even put into words what's going on. Me, I mean, I am you know very grateful for technology right now, as I think a lot of us are, mm-hmm. but also very repelled by it at the same yeah. time. I mean, I am I feel like uh, you know, I mean, they call the internet, or at least I used to, you know, the information superhighway, and it really kind of feels like that. It kind of feels like when you do all your meetings on Zoom, and I see my kids having all their classes online, and um. I'm, I'm so glad that it exists, but it does feel like being on a giant, like, 15-lane highway when I'm used to taking the back roads a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm used to yeah. country roads and Dreaming. smaller, smaller yeah. bo- and, and y- we need it right now, and it's getting us where we need to go, and thank God for it, but there's something so sterile and flat and um, dehumanizing about it, even though it's keeping us all sane to some degree and keeping us all connected. I'm I, I'm I'm finding this urge to just be outside luckily I, I have a house where I can go outside and we live mm-hmm. in California where the weather is beautiful but like I don't know how people are doing it if you can't be outside because I am just all I want to do is like touch dirt and touch flowers and we have this wild beehive that's taken up residence in our garden and I'm mm-hmm. just like studying the bees all day long and you know I've made friends with like the wild birds that come there's this one bird this, this scrub jay that's always in my yard and I'm giving him peanuts and I'm just like making friends with animals and just outside all day because I can't stand looking at a screen anymore Mm. Um, and I I don't feel miserable or anything but I also don't feel like creating anything because I feel like anything I would create besides a garden right now would involve a screen and I'm really just kind of resisting that.
0: I'm Lexi Kaiser, a 20-year-old blogger and poet studying English and journalism at St. Louis University. I'm currently working for The Creative Process as an associate podcast interviewer and producer. I relate so heavily to what Miss C is saying about having a lack of inspiration in this unprecedented, insanely challenging moment in global history. When COVID-19 struck, I was studying creative writing abroad in Madrid, Spain, and my work was flourishing more than ever. It seemed that everywhere I looked, there was something new to take in, to capture on paper, to try and pin down with words so that I could remember it forever. My senses were ignited, my mind was bright and alive. I had never felt so human, and I believed that because of that, I had never felt so creative. When I was forced to come home early from my program, I was obviously disappointed about the loss of my weekend trips and my host mom's tortilla española. But I still maintained this hope that with all of the free time I now had due to self-isolation, I would finally have the time to grow my skills as a writer and dedicate myself entirely to projects I'd been working on here and there. A new blog format, a poetry manuscript, a grant application for a research project. Yet, here I am in July, not much further along on those projects. It would be easy for us as creatives to come down on ourselves. Like Ms. C discussed earlier, We tend to crave perfection in our own work, even if we don't expect or even desire it in the work of others. This can lead us to set lofty goals and get down on ourselves when we don't achieve them. But in light of recent events, I've learned that it's okay not to be productive. It's okay to slow down and focus on breathing, feeling, existing. Surviving a pandemic and all of the news and information being thrown at us at all times is work. It's draining and it's hard, And being stuck inside most of the time isn't exactly bringing us all to this great well of inspiration. I've learned in my own creative process over the past few months what really works for me and what really doesn't. I don't thrive with time but with passion, with ignition. I thrive when my mind is running a thousand miles a minute, when my pen can't keep up with all of the thoughts and the sights and the sounds. Instead of forcing myself to do mediocre work that doesn't feel authentic, just to do it, I'm trying to be gentle with myself and remind myself that when this is over, I can get back to the world, and I'll feel inspired and hopeful and rejuvenated again. Creativity comes in waves. The creative process can't be forced, and that's okay. We just have to be ready to pick back up when we're ready, and in the meantime, be patient with ourselves and those around us. Strange times call for strange measures, but no beautiful art was ever created from the mundane.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's something that had been, and i had been asking people before all of this, you know, I'd asking people how they reflect upon, because um, I'm working a lot with young people, so they're like um, natives to all of these technologies. Sure. Um, and how te- um, technology is influencing our imaginations and how we communicate with our imaginations and with each other. And so I've been asking that for a long time, but now when it becomes the, the only, you know, the only interface for most of us, um, I I do I do sometimes get concerned that we actually forget more improvised more communal um, ways of communicating you know
0: um,
2: yeah and then now it's been happening for a number of years where people will people schedule calls of course well normally it's an interview so you know we have to schedule it but like instead of just calling someone up to just have an appointment for the the, the thing so everything is. Is, I lo- love choreography, but everything is choreographed, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. And it goes so. back to that thing that we were saying where, like, the perfection gets, or, you know, the imperfections, or the, maybe imperfections is the wrong word, but the, the surprises get scrubbed out of it. The little bits that we didn't expect, the like you said about Maria Kahlo's voice, the, the mm. trembles. Mm-hmm are largely cleaned out. Of, like, even when people do these Zoom calls, they pick a spot in their house and clean up the background. You know, so they... You know, everybody... It's just, like, everything... And the the, the carefully curated, uh, you know, TikToks or Instagrams, like, it's just our, our tolerance for spontaneity and, like you said, improvisation or surprises or just kind of off-the-cuffiness mm-hmm. has gone way, way, way down. And I think maybe it, to some degree... It's like you said, kids that have grown up in that world, and that's just how you come to expect. That's what your sort of life aesthetic becomes. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also a control control thing now. Like, Mm -hmm. with the whole world spinning out of control and this virus sort of, like, cruising around the globe unchecked, I think it's some semblance of just kind of, like, having a little bit of control. Well, at least my corner of the living room where I shoot my Zooms is perfect, you know, and it's (laughs) that urge, again, which I already struggle with, to have everything perfect, even though we know that's not what people care about.
2: So I'm wondering also what is your daily like what's your daily dance practice or create like I mean not that it always has to be the same but um, how do you yeah how do you like when you wake up what is your routine if I may say?
1: I swing my arms around a lot. I I early on got into the habit of just when I first wake up just kind of um, circling my arms in these big huge circles and and twisting at the waist and just letting my arms flap around mm-hmm. and that helps me so much get my day started like mm-hmm. both mentally, physically and emotionally and just sort of like loosening up my spine, loosening up my shoulders. I have an old shoulder injury and it just mm-hmm. feels so good to swing them around. I usually do a couple of sun salutations. I'm not a big yoga person mm-hmm. um, just because I, I don't know why I'm not. Um, too quiet for me. I like Mm. I like a louder warm up.
2: Yeah, I like dancing. I'm I'm bad. I go right in without too much warm up.
1: I can't can't wait
2: to see the good part, you know?
1: Yeah. I need music. I need and and also I need more improvisation, like you were saying, like yoga feels really structured to me. Mm -hmm. And I like music and improvisation a lot better. So that is so I do a few of those just because I feel like it really does help my shoulders and my back my hips just to, to do that but then really I have no structured dance anymore I mm. just dance around the house mm. and I dance with my chickens and I dance with my kids my kids yeah. are both musicians we have a lot of music in the house Wonderful. and I just dance um mm. and I don't really play I have you know I have a number of friends who have like online ballet bar classes and wow. um during all of this and and <sighs> it's all too structured for me right now I just want to dance
2: by myself or with my kids or my animals yeah I do I'm sorry it's not about me but um, yeah I like improvised dance because I used to go to dance classes and things obviously it's kind of sort of impossible now but I just yeah. found there wasn't enough room for my imagination and since um, some people don't have a lot of cultivated improvisation so they yeah. like that structure but I just like making things up and it's every time it's new and I think that that can only help with your brain and now I've started I think it's kind of weird but um, like I wake up in the morning and I do a bit of like um, cheesecake <laughs> like they used to call that in the 40s no they used to call it kind of like I don't know, like kind of a posing, I don't know, I like, it's like, I tell every part of my body, like, I I kind of, I like it, so it's like the old pose, my brother told me they call it now Vogue, but I don't,
1: I don't know what that, oh, like little poses, I love that, just
2: little poses, and it's, maybe it's a little sensual or whatever, but I I noticed, I mean, if you want to study people who know about, or creatures who know about captivity, I, I guess cats, right, like, like they, they're like indoors all the time but if you want to study them what do they do everyday like they just like stay indoors all the time but yeah, yeah. have you ever seen anyone more seductive in their laziness than a cat Absolutely. <laughs> you know? and what
1: immaculate care they take of themselves and how yeah languid and just yeah. confident they are in that yeah. so it's like I'm going to get yeah. used to
2: captivity I just have to make every little gesture if I can't be going far like you know, speak volumes to really, you know. Maximize oh, love on that. It.
1: I'm going to try that. I, that's a great one.
2: I, I think it's nice. So that's my little thing. And then I just love dancing. Um, I think it's great for the brain. I think it's great for the imagination. I wish more people... I told that to um, my friend who works at Shell Oil. And I said, you, you should just dance. And <laughs> like, you know, she couldn't imagine all these Shell Oil executives like dancing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's,
1: it's It's funny because even though we've all been to... You know, dance clubs, um, mm-hmm. or weddings where everybody's dancing. Like mm-hmm. we, we still think of dance as a very presentational thing that is meant for someone to watch and meant mm-hmm. for someone else to experience, and it's it's. And again, this goes back to what I was saying about how tragic dance is in a way, because really the art form is for the person who's doing it. It's not for anybody who's watching. Mm-hmm. And so, in, by definition, it's over when it's over, and it can never really be captured because it's happening for the person who's dancing. And yeah. I, 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 I think it's. I think that's part of why I resist dance classes at this stage, because I'm not interested in dancing for anybody else. You know, when I was younger, and I was, my dancing was about being seen and being and being judged for it, and creating something beautiful for somebody else to watch or something interesting for somebody else to watch at this stage in my life and my body and my career that's not what I want out of dancing it's just for me and when you think of it that way everybody should be dancing and not necessarily in front of each other or around each other unless they want to but like it is it's it's, it's not about showing off or being good at it it's about what it feels like to do it you know. And
2: this is something we're talking about bringing Palabulis back into it because I had this discussion oh, ages ago with them Idemar um, Kabovi, um yeah. the executive director, and so I love him. You um, know, we were talking about why you know if you watch children again, they're like you know animals are like cats, like they're very they're dancing all the time. Like as soon as they can walk, they're actually dancing before yeah. they can walk. And um, but then he said doesn't know why I mean because you know they go into the schools to teach you know young people as well um, and then around the age of 12 or something maybe the onset of puberty or, um, it becomes a shameful thing
1: you know yeah they become so self-conscious yeah and
2: it's somehow too sensual or something that mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's weird because I think the people who are dancers almost have this thing in their mind where they or maybe it's a little bit like the way we are in France too where nudity isn't such a, a big deal like you'll see everybody in their granny you know topless sunbathing if you go to south of france
1: right um exactly
2: uh so it's not like dancers don't feel their body is a shameful thing it's a, a thing of beauty it's their
1: instrument um, well again i think it's that it's that thing about doing it for other people versus doing it for yourself you know that if, if it's there for somebody to look at for somebody to watch for somebody to judge versus like this this expression of something you're feeling or thinking or imagining um, you know if this isn't this isn't this isn't there for them it's there you know and i think that's part of the part of the hang-ups people have and it is related to the sensuality thing but for that very reason is that they feel somehow like this is something i shouldn't be showing anybody or i don't want to know what people would think about this so it doesn't matter you know mm-hmm. it's not it's not their business
2: Well, I think what's one interesting thing is I'm I'm very fascinated in um, uh, dancers and choreographers ways of visualizing themselves as they dance. And I feel in some ways, um, like, I don't know, when I'm dancing, like you can think of your hand as a flower or something, or you can think of yourself as a bird or whatever. So like by physically embodying, you know, as you're imagining this, this, all the different energies around or the different, you know, being one with one's environment or not being limited in one's physical self We're human beings. You you know how you transcend yourself, you can like almost fly, you can do these things, Um, that it can only increase. There's this beautiful, really wonderful sense of community uh, among dancers and dance companies where each one depends on the other and one can't fail because everyone will be diminished. And so that's why I think it's such a beautiful practice that if we all had something like that or maybe for some people it's you know music or whatever um that it would it can only help increase our sense of responsibility to each other and the planet that's
1: my belief oh, i totally agree i think that's really well said
2: oh, i didn't mean to retalk. i was thinking mia shut up let her <laughs> no
1: that is that was so well said and i could not agree more absolutely
2: it's well. It's such a it's such a nice thing, and it's such a it's such a beautiful thing to see. And I just I mean I wish I knew more about it. But um, you know this whole sense of how you get to know someone in a dance company. Um, I guess it's in repertory theater too, but um, we there are not that many opportunities like in the corporate world or whatever to have that. Um, so what well, so what have been your experiences of that and. I don't know how much you went out on the road or, I mean, I don't know your whole experience, but if you could speak to
1: that. You know, I had, <clears throat> I was never in a dance company. I've worked mm-hmm. with Philobolis quite a bit and mm-hmm. I, I love their philosophy and I love their dance company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I never had that experience as a dancer. My dance, uh, well, I, a little bit in college. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in a dance company at my college, that it was very, very formative for me, very creatively supportive. Mm-hmm. And, um, uplifting in that way that you're talking about but after that I was in the world of competitive ballroom dancing and swing tango um and that's the opposite I mean Mm -hmm. you are literally being judged and you're competing against you know other dancers and the only person you kind of have on your side is your partner but even then that's a very fraught relationship because you guys are being judged, so it's very tempting to sort of point fingers. You did that wrong. You led that wrong. You you know, you didn't pick the right uh, time to do that. You know, like, and <clears throat> so um, I don't think the ballroom world did a lot of good for me mm-hmm. in that regard. Like, I have such tremendous respect for the sort of discipline and precision and technical skill of uh, ballroom dancing And a lot of, I have a a huge amount of love for the social dancing aspect of that because it's what Mm -hmm. we're talking about, like, true collaboration and improvisation and spontaneity and reading each other's minds as you go, especially, like, real Argentine tango. It's Mm -hmm. so connected. The people, you know, you just have to be mind-melded with that person. Um, But the competitive world of of dancing is just so cutthroat and so... um, not, not. It's not a supportive, trusting place, and it's not about hey, uh, the the tide rises and all boats go up. Or whatever that phrase is, mm-hmm. it's the opposite. It's like there's only room at the top for one. Everybody mm-hmm. else, get out of my way. Um, and that was really my dance experience. I mean, when I got out of that, and and when I got out of that world, um it was such a. I don't think I realized how much that was weighing on me, and doing things like making the okay go videos where it was like we are all in this together this thing better be good you know i'm not looking for anybody else to make a mistake if somebody makes a mistake we all feel it as if we did it like it it was such a collaborative thing and coming right out of that very 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 um just competitive world of dancing ballroom dancing it was such a breath of fresh air and I never wanted to go back to anything like that again filmmaking has been kind of in between for me because when you're on set that feels like you're in a very collaborative supportive environment because everyone's trying to do this everyone's trying to solve all the problems together everyone's trying to make this thing as best they can everybody's working together um some of the pl- politics surrounding the making of the movies, you know, how it's going to be promoted, how who's going to get final choices of the edits or the music or, you know, the costuming and how how, how it's going to be put out in the world and what you're allowed to say about it and what you're not. Like, some of the sort of business decisions and um, bureaucracy surrounding making a movie can be a little less supportive. Um, but for the most part, filmmaking feels more like a collaboration than not you know i mean even even the even the businessy political aspects of it feel like we all want a movie that is good tells a good story has a good message makes people feel something does well in the world gets seen by the right people that need to see it you know and we're all kind of on the same page so i don't know if i'm answering your question but um
2: no i I understand it's a different experience but at least it's good that you had that experience as well for the competitive ballroom dancing that you could um bring in a bit of the um the reality to yeah step up and pitch perfect um you know and bring humor into it because you'd live through that so um, that that shows yeah yeah yeah
1: no it's it's a it's a pretty brutal ruthless world out there um for a for a professional dancer Mm -hmm. and the very few that are lucky to go somewhere like Palabulus, where you have this just like n- supportive net around you, um, are very lucky. Because most people are gig dancers, you know, and they have to comp- they have to go to these open auditions and they have to compete and they have to, you know, stay on top of their game. And it's it's uh, very very tough. You know, it's
2: another interesting thing, and I, and I don't know, yeah, I do think that they are unique in the dance world. Um, but I, and I, I know that there's some kind of enlightened, enlightened views to, um, uh, rehearsals and the whole, the, the whole process. But he was describing, uh, Itamar, uh, how, you know, they have hundreds of people try out for one part, and then when they invite people in, oh, this is another thing that made me laugh, that they get people to, to, like, walk and, and jump up and down, and, and that that tells mm-hmm. them so much. <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe
1: it it It's crazy (laughs) I've seen I've seen Palabalos auditions And they're like Run across the room (laughs) Okay stop Don't run like a dancer Just run And the people That can't Just run The people that have To sort of like Run like a ballerina Or point their toes Or run quietly Or daintily Or run with some kind Of special intention Are out like, no, I said just run Don't do anything else Just run like a normal fucking person y- Oops, sorry <laughs> nope, know, That's lie. okay, it's um, okay <laughs> <laughs> And like, it's amazing how few people can do that Or are willing to do that um, I, It made me feel so situ- <laughs> It made me
2: feel so good yeah, <laughs> I like can right? run <laughs> they the same thing
1: with jumping. They're like, we're going to ask you guys to jump And they're pretty clear about it they're not, yeah. It's not like a secret test They're clear, they're yeah. like, we're going to ask you guys to jump Don't point your toes don't jump in any particular way. Mm-hmm. Don't jump like a dancer. Don't jump like a ballerina. Don't jump like a, you know, frog. Just jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and 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 it's amazing how few people are willing to do that, especially in that space, because we've all of course these are all people that have been to millions of auditions, mm-hmm. most of them are. Mm-hmm. And they are like just trained mm-hmm. <laughs> to jump in a certain way and it's in in it and there's and pilavos of course is specifically looking for people that are willing to throw all that down mm-hmm. and be completely free um and it's really hard to find people who can do that especially if they've been in the dance world for a while yeah i love that too
2: it's strange that it natural grace it's like we're talking about like what children have when they're young you know it's just um but we learn all these different ways to hide like what we were born with. And so that's weird, how to learn, how to get back to it.
1: Um, How's that sort of nativist, you know, mm -hmm. Um, feral almost. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to unlearn the stuff that we've put on ourselves.
2: I sometimes feel that's one of the biggest challenges, one of the one. I mean, there's always many, but uh, being an artist is like to maintain your innocence or maintained what's, what's natural and to protect that thing that you do well
1: and that's just you um, yeah especially when technical skills are required mm-hmm. you know you can't just live in a hole um, doing your own thing you have to learn some skills you have to learn you know you have to learn from other people You ha- there are some things that you're going to need to know how to do and like a dancer the more you learn the harder it is to remember what it was like before you learned those things but you kind of have to keep that at -hmm. the same you know keep both at the same time it's a continual conflict I think
2: Yeah, so I think, I mean, this is, I think, really interesting for people who are not just, you know, lovers of dance or considering dance or choreography as a career or or directing films if they should be so lucky, but um, I think that it's really given them, uh, the the particular students or listeners, an interest in that, um, you know, some ways to go about uh, pursuing what they love, whatever that is. Um,
1: Well, I hope so, because I feel like probably the most creative people I know in my life are not professional creative, creative types in the, in Mm -hmm. the classic sense. Like the way they express their creativity is like their life is the art project, you know, their home or the way they've raised their children or the way they solve problems at work or, you know, the, the way they do math, like that's Mm -hmm. the art project. And I think people having a sort of larger idea of what is creative and what is artistic and how to say, solve problems creatively that may have nothing to do with dance or m- music or movies or anything mm-hmm. that we consider as being typically creative mm-hmm. everything's creative that's what we're here to do you know mm-hmm. and um yeah so definitely
2: yeah even um I think so, and I think that, as I understand it, and speak definitely to more filmmakers, that it's a big, like, management task. These are business tasks you're writing, you're working to your budget, and so, um, yeah, there's a creativity to that, and there's a lot of math involved, and all these things. Um, I guess I should ask, because I hadn't asked who, beyond um, some of the collaborators you discussed, but who were, like, important teachers for you who kind of helped form your, your thinking, or... The artist you are today—it's
1: uh, like uh, people I actually know in real life, or people it that it could I've be either. You know,
2: people who, yeah, who help hone your vision, and you know, that you know, it or I've only know their
1: work. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an avid reader, and mm-hmm. so I think uh, are uh, people that I've read both fiction and nonfiction probably mm-hmm. are the biggest influence on mm-hmm. me, more even more than dancers, probably. Oh. Um, I love, I love reading um, And I just think when you can um, when you can see the world through when a writer has really succeeded in giving you a glimpse into the world through somebody else's eyes, it's it's to me still the most magical thing of all. And I think some of my favorite writers are probably like Donna Tart, mm-hmm. um, Margaret Atwood. I love Roxane Gay. She's one of my favorite. Oh, I know you've talked I, to her. I yes, I her interviewed soul. her. <laughs> she's absolutely one of my favorite. I don't know her personally, but mm-hmm. I feel like she's just one of my favorite people in the world. Um, I love Tressie mcmillan Cottam. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love Toni Morrison. Um, I think I also, this is not a writer, but I think Isabella Rossellini is one of those people that I've mm-hmm. just looked at and been like, we can all learn so much from her about a life that is quite glamorous and quite presentational, but mm-hmm. which is not what I'm looking for out of life. But despite the fact that she is those things, she seems so grounded and so authentic and so sort of comfortable in her skin at every step of the way. Mm. I have found her to be like a really big inspiration. Um, when I was young, there was a cellist, I think she's still playing, but her name was is Ofra Harnoy, and she's mm-hmm. this fabulous cellist. And like I was saying, I, I was young and for a minute deluded that I could actually make a life as a classical cellist until I started going to interlochen and and she was a young cellist like a child prodigy and i just found her life and her um music and and the discipline that she brought to it and but also the emotion i found her really fascinating when i was young um i don't know if those are good examples but
2: oh no they're good and they're good because they're varied and they're surprising you know as you say you're learning (laughs) i think it's nice i think that difference is surprising too right isn't it um, yeah, like I would mistrust yeah. if someone was only from their world, you know.
1: No, I, yeah. I think so too. And it's it gets so boring in your own world. Mm. Um, it's nice to it's nice to hear from people outside of that world, or have a moment to be able to see the world through um, a very different lens. I think it's refreshing. Yeah. So I, I definitely gravitate towards. I try to at least voices that feel different than my own. I'm sick of hearing my own voice. <laughs> Which, I'm a little way, <laughs> I'm
2: sorry that i a bombastic. No, 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 this is perfect. That's a perfect. This is actually a perfect length and um I'm a little bit obsessive about different voices and different, you know like oh look yeah. what can I learn about astrophysics? I don't know. <laughs> Let's talk right. to the experts. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's um, I totally agree. <laughs> I think that I think it's it's fascinating, that's another thing with the palablos too they're always bringing in people m i t you know a robotics lab here, you know comedians over here, so i I think that's um, probably what you have that in common with them as well um yeah, I guess,
1: just to get out of your zone for a minute,
2: yeah, and I think that that's why um because otherwise you start to repeat you start to repeat the genres, yeah um, exactly. And uh, but then it's when you combine dif- two different things. I think that's what they call it, the evolution. Um, so I guess as it was Just um, I wanted to have a question about the future. I mean, we've been discussing some of these things. We talked a little bit about your education in dance and music. Um, but like, as you think about the future, and you know what's going on right now, the environment, and technology, and all these things we we're talking about—the way, ways we're communicating with each other and I guess the kind of world we're leaving our children, um, what do you feel are some ways we might um, improve upon our current systems, you know, as we imagine a
1: better tomorrow? Sorry for the heavy I mean, like you said, I think we've touched on some of these things Mm -hmm. from other directions, but I think first and foremost, we've got to have empathy um, and more of it. And um, I do think that digital, existences are not necessarily great for our empathy um Mm -hmm. because so you know so much of understanding another person is being able to really really imagine and understand as best you can what what's happening for them and so much of as we said our digital life feels like presenting a version of things we want people to see um and leaving so much unseen, and I think we need to be a little more radically honest mm-hmm. in order to foster the kind of empathy we need to get through what's coming and what we've created here mm-hmm. on this planet. And then coming once we sort of have that kind of empathy for each other and for even for you know animals and and our and our climate, then I think it's going to be about creative uh, problem solving and and. I don't think we should have so many I mean, and this is where we can learn a thing or two from poblos, for example, like let's stop having these artificial boundaries of like this is science and this is uh, math and this is art and this is comedy and this is storytelling like we we need a much more um boundaryless way of thinking, I think, in order to figure out what comes next and communicate with each other because so many people are going to f- hear a message only if it's funny or only if it makes them cry or only if it comes with good music or only if it has their favorite voices attached to it And so like we need to start communicating with each other in, in on lots of different ways so that we all hear the message and then people from all different Walks of life and in disciplines and experiences and places on the planet can put our heads together and do a massive collaboration, the way, say, Palabalus does or the way a movie set does, for people that bring all different strengths and all different perspectives to solve things. Because we got a lot of problems go- going on that are only going to get worse. And I don't think we have the right approach to solving them because we a little bit have the virtuoso problem that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, with Interlock and where we expect people to be an expert in their one thing and that that is the highest form of sort of evolution mm-hmm. rather than, you know, like I, I, again, to bring it full circle, I've been talking about the bees in my garden. I, I sometimes yeah. get devastated when they do this thing where they kick bees out every mm-hmm. once in a while. And the boy bees, they're called drones, mm-hmm. they don't fly around collecting pollen all the bees you generally see like on flowers are, are girls mm-hmm. and the boy okay. bees mm-hmm. yeah the boy bees live in the hives their whole life they go out once to mate with queen bees from other colonies and the rest of their life they spend in the hive being treated like babies they're literally fed like babies by mm-hmm. the girl bees by all their sisters and they just live in the hive rolling around they don't even have stingers they look like teddy bears they're much fatter and hairier mm-hmm. and rounder than the girl bees they don't even have stingers and when the hive starts getting crowded they just kick the boy bees out and they're these little cute spot hairy guys and they, they're helpless because they don't do anything They, their whole life they do nothing but sit there getting fed and watching them struggle the boy bees is so tragic and sometimes I just my heart breaks for them or the or the girl bees that are old get thrown out too. Mm. And it's just... and But sometimes I have to just like look at the hive as a whole, <laughs> you know? Mm. And remember like this hive is thriving. These mm. boy bees tonight are having a terrible night, but the hive is thriving and we can't be... And sometimes like putting our individual selves down for a minute and just looking at the whole of mm. things is, has been really helpful for me. And so sometimes I just think... Bees can't afford to be specialists. they're they're a hive. They think together. They work as a you know, we need to be like a hive of bees a little bit more. Um, which isn't a great analogy because I just talked about how mean they can be throwing throwing the boys down for the night. but um,
2: yeah,
1: yeah I, I, I I wish we had more of a hive mind because I feel like a lot of our big problems that we're solving. And have solved through the course of human history w- were a collaboration even if it was someone alone in a lab that was based on knowledge and information from millions of or maybe not millions but lots of people before them mm-hmm. and we just we just have to remember that we're all so interconnected i think
2: no i think that's a a beautiful me- metaphor and and a realistic one and i think about them I I didn't realize. I sometimes see those bees kind of stumbling around. I didn't realize that they had been, like, I don't know, refugees from the hive. Ejected from the hive, yeah,
0: isn't
2: that sad? (laughs) That is sad. But But I I do understand collectively, you know, um, we have limited resources, and we have to, I think that we have enough if we thought collectively, but if we we don't, um, we're where where we can see what's happening now. So I just, I want to thank you, um, Trish C, for um, your example of radical honesty and your advocacy for creativity without boundaries and for uh, inviting us into your imaginative world, uh, your openness to improvisation play and uncertainty from which I I believe the best collaborations come and for your important contributions to dance, film, and choreography. Thank you for adding your voice to the
1: creative process. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure.
0: This interview was conducted by Mia Funk, with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews Producer on this podcast was Lexi Kaiser. Digital Media Coordinator is Yu Young Lee. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolus and performed by the Athenian Trio. Has this interview sparked your creative process? If so, you can submit your creative works to submissions at creativeprocess.info for an opportunity to be included in the projection elements of our exhibition, Traveling to Leading Universities, or published on our website, www.creativeprocess.info. Want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at